Yes, we'll go ahead and um, get started. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Craig Young. First thing I want to do before I start in on our subject is introduce a few people to you. Uh, one is my wife, Katie. When it's time for the question and answer session, that's the one you want to go And uh, And next to her is uh, her sister, Diana. And Diana and her husband, Garth. And then Lucas and Claire, uh, the Hutchinson family, who worked with us in France for 18 years. And Lucas and Claire were born and raised in France. So if you want to know a little more about that, you can talk to them. And we have some wonderful supporters from our church in St. Louis who's been sponsoring us since 1990. 28 faithful years. And grateful, grateful to God for that. Uh, as a family, We've been on the mission field there at Florida Marseille for 28 years, Katie and I, with our two girls. Our two girls who are both Pepperdine graduates now, which is fun. And we'll get to see a picture of them right here. And so are Lucas and Claire Pepperdine graduates, yes. So we got a bunch of them in the family, which is really great. Um, and I am right now working on uh, some, some doctoral work on Developing leaders who come from a Muslim background. Leadership emergence for those who are coming from a Muslim background. And that's not the subject today, but that's given me the opportunity to have a lot of interaction with a lot of wonderful Christian brothers and sisters who come from a Muslim background. And the subject that we are looking at today is this, the idea of a dwelling place. And we'll develop that for you. And I want to start in the scriptures with that. Psalm 84, and I'll read it to you, says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, the dwelling place. My soul yearns, even faints, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Uh, now, I do all that I do, and I speak all that I speak in French all the time. So I live there, I work there. And so I, I had to slip in a little bit of French this morning to you. And I want to invite the rest of the family up to join me. And we're going to sing this psalm for you in French this morning. So you get a little flavor of what life is like for us. And Freddie, you're going to come push the button, and I'll slide over this way. And you can follow along the words on the screen. Freddie's going to go. You guys ready? Hold on. What do I push? Um, let me see. Right you can push. We'll start. <laughs> you can push this one. And I'm giving you the Psalm 84 in the first words here. Let's start.
there's a longing, a longing for a dwelling place for each of us. And song is one of the ways that helps us to see that. A uh, place of peace sometimes is not what you think it might be. This is called Peace in the Storm by Jack Dawson. And what's so great about this is the world that is raging around you, uh, in the middle of all that, there's a tiny little place in the rock where there's a little bird in a little nest taking care of some young. Aww. And this was an award-winning work of art to talk about. Peace in our world doesn't come when everything is smooth on the ocean. But when we're in the hand of God in the middle of the storm. Let me begin by telling you about my home, Marseille. 2,600 years of history in Marseille. And Marseille is a city that has both European and North African roots. And so I live in a place where I am surrounded by Muslims in Marseille. 35% of the city is North African, Tunisian, Moroccan, and most of all, Algerian. Uh, in our neighborhood, it's actually more like 50% of the population that we interact with all the time. That's our home in Marseille. This is our little neighborhood, culturally Catholic on one side of the railroad tracks, culturally Muslim North African on the other side of the railroad tracks, and we sit right in the middle. Now, I also want to know, or tell you before we talk about Muslims, that I am not in ignorance about terrorism. In fact, France has become the number one target for terror in the world, as far as Islamic extremism is concerned. And this is not a nice attack that you are looking at here. This is the city of Nice, and the attack in Nice where 84 people were killed. Terrorism in France is being pushed by all kinds of forces, ISIS being one of them. And so when I talk about terrorism, I like to talk to you about the Muslim religion a little bit and let you understand that when those who are following ISIS go and do what they do, the source of their action comes from what? The Quran. They are acting in accordance with the Quran. Understand that. We host a group of Syriac Christians every Saturday afternoon. They don't have a building, and so they come and hang out in ours on Saturday afternoons. Syriac, as in Syria, as in one of the oldest Christian groups from the Middle East. And here they are in Marseille. And occasionally we have gatherings where others come together. And one night we had a gathering of French Catholics with a gathering of Syriac Christians. And we put them together and started talking about Islam. Well, here's how the conversation goes. The French Catholics say, you know, it's such a shame that all these things are happening to a religion of peace like Islam. To which our Syrian brothers and sisters respond, are you kidding me? See, where we come from in the world has, has a lot to do with our vision of what we see in Islam. The roots are there to provoke and create things that exist like ISIS. The list of terror attacks in France is long and recent. Okay? This is ongoing. And since this list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven major attacks, we had one 
less than eight months ago in Marseille, where two young women were stabbed to death by an Islamic terrorist. And we also had a man who gave his life to save others in the midst of a terrorist attack. You see, the people who commit these terrorist attacks are not refugees in France, contrary to popular belief. The people who commit these terrorist acts all have French passports, most of whom are second generation North African immigrants to France. They have been disenfranchised. They have been put out. They have been ostracized. And they have found meaning in extremism. How do we respond to this? Well, this man, Arnaud Berkham, gave his life to save others who were hostages in a city in southwest France in March, just about six weeks ago. He went in, took their place, and was shot by the terrorist who had taken the hostage. <coughs> our response to this can cost us our lives. A loving response to this can cost us our lives. How do we respond? Well, with love, of course. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. That's the call, the call to love. But this morning, I want you to think about this idea. Are Muslims really, really our enemies? I'd like to take a closer look and consider this question. How many Muslims can read classic Arabic? Very few. Very, very <coughs> few. The Quran is written in classic Arabic. The number of Muslims who can actually read the Quran is very limited. And the Quran must not be translated into any other language. It is not valid spoken in any other <coughs> classical Arabic. The majority of them function very differently from what is written in the Quran. Perhaps Paul's words have a little application for us here. He says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, it's a stretch, it's not biblical, but let's say do not have the Quran, do by nature the things that are required by the law. They are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. You can look for the word love in the Quran. You're going to have a hard time finding it. But I just left the previous session in the other building where Iranian brothers and sisters said, you know, I just feel like love is the answer. Where do they get that? God is at work. God is doing things. God is touching hearts. God is acting and moving. And when we can see the other as someone in whom God is acting and moving, we can approach that differently. Many Muslims act out of the law written on their heart. Now today, besides the Muslims that have been in Marseille for generations, uh, we do have a wave of immigrants arriving in Marseille from North Africa and from the Middle East. And we received a letter from a pastor from Syria, 
on this subject, he wrote to the French pastor group, and we got our hands on this letter. He says, Dear pastors in Europe, you have a golden opportunity. Families are arriving on your shores. They are broken, hurting, and in great need. A warm welcome could change their lives and their perspectives and their beliefs in less time than it takes to say so. They are fleeing from the tyranny of Islam and battling on the inside with their convictions. These Muslims are victims of Islam. They need someone to open their eyes. No more need for sending missionaries. They're coming to your doorstep. Now is the time to act, pray, have faith, share good news, meet their physical needs, and most of all, love them. Build relationship with them, one family at a time. Wise words. Deuteronomy chapter 10, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribe. And what else does he do? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Let's pray together. Father, we are contemplating what you are doing in this world right now, especially amongst those who come out of the Muslim faith. You have totally turned that world upside down in so many ways. And you have created incredible opportunity for us who know you to walk in and share the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will give us greater wisdom, that you will guide our steps as we do this. Give us great love for each one who is before us. May we be people of peace ourselves to those who are looking for you. And Lord, may we all together experience the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. Pray in Jesus. Amen. The Muslims are coming as victims of Islam. We went to Greece. We've gone twice with our students. We have a training program in Marseille. We've gone twice to Greece to help with the refugees there. Uh, if you want to know what a dwelling place for refugees looks like, go to the Ammonia Church in downtown Athens and find your way to Eleni, and you will know all about that. That is the example par excellence uh, for reaching out to those who are coming in as refugees. And I want to share some quotes from those that we spend time with. Um, and I, I do, I just saw that, and I should have asked. I prefer if we not do photos of the people that I'm going to show you. That, no problem, but thank you for taking one. That reminded me. <laughs> Here's Ali. When I'm with people like you, I have hope. And I feel like I'm walking on two legs. He lost one of them in the war in Syria. Ishmael says, well, you know, I said, why do you come back every day? I come here for the love. And Salah, he's a Yazidi. Yazidis are a completely different people group. They're not Muslim or Christian, and so they were a special privileged target of ISIS, these <coughs> super pagans that are not one of the you know, godly religions. 
he's here in this, this is uh, on the naval base in Greece, right on the coast of uh, Athens, right on the water. And they've got these places lined up for the refugees, these houses and houses for all their little homes. And Asada says, I don't want money. I don't want a house. I don't want a car. Well, that's what I thought all these refugees want. I just want Well, what are these folks like? This is some, these are our students in Greece last year, and there's a couple others with us, and of course you guys have already figured out the response to the question. But the law school and med school students in this picture did not come to Greece from Marseille, France. The law school and med school students are these two Syrian refugees. We need to kind of reorient our, our picture of the people that we're interacting with and called to love. Are Muslims our enemies, or are they, are they our allies? Context can make a huge, huge difference in that. I like to tell you a little story from our experience. I'm gonna go back to Marseille now after our little trip to Greece, our little mission trip to Greece. Katie and I have our two daughters born and raised on the mission field right in the urban jungle of Marseille. And when Emily, our oldest, was in third grade in the public school in Marseille, what happened? Well, she went to class, and as I said, the neighborhood was approximately, if not more than 50% North African. Can you find little Emily in this picture? <laughs> She's not hard to pick out, is she? Because if you look at the picture, I asked her to send it to me, 15 of the 24 children in this picture come from Muslim families. Emily's third grade and Emily, when she sent me the picture in the email, she said, by the way, tell everybody that this little guy right here's name is Islam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the guy in the red shirt, Islam. Okay. This is our neighborhood. This is our world. What does that mean? Well, we're in hyper-secular atheist France. So when this third grade teacher over here, she kind of fits the mold, starts telling these third graders that God does not exist and mocks right in the class, in the third grade class, anybody who could actually think the ridiculous idea that God exists, what happens? Well, little French guys and girls, they fall in line. And Emily suddenly becomes aware of the huge chasm that exists between her and her little French counterparts in the third grade class. But something else happens after class. What does Emily learn? there was a whole bunch of other people in that classroom that did not agree with their little third grade teacher. There were a whole bunch of allies of Emily, our daughter, in that classroom. And they were all Muslims. Depends where you are in the world, what an ally and an enemy looks like. When we talk about sharing we seem sometimes to have so little in common with those who come from this part of the world, and it's very difficult to do so. Developing the language of love, first of all, the language itself, doing something in Arabic, for example, can be extremely difficult for us. But there is a language of love that goes above and beyond even the language barriers that we might have. <coughs> and 
when we're interacting with people, especially coming out of difficult circumstances like many that you might be meeting here in the States as refugees, we've got to be ready for some challenging things. Like, hey, let's have a Google conversation. Okay. So I'll start tapping in Arabic my first sentence of the conversation. Tell me about yourself. Well, I start tapping the conversation. Do, 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 Google Translate. And Google Translate says, my entire family was killed by ISIS and I'm the only one who survived. This is at our church. We welcome this family from Syria, and that's Angelique, beautiful little baby. Okay? And we're so excited. Oh, this is so wonderful, this beautiful little baby. And her mom says, yes, we just had her to replace her 10-year-old sister who was killed by a bomb. Okay. A dwelling place, a place for people who are suffering. You know the expression, a humble abode. Uh, now I'm going to do a little Bible. That's what we're talking about. Your humble abode is, is, is your dwelling place, where you abide. And biblically, it's beautiful. We're in John in chapter 13 and 16 here. Jesus says, right in the middle, John chapter 15, beginning with 15, you, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. <coughs> right before that, what do we have? Jesus telling them about My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The peace I give you is my peace. In this abode, in this dwelling place, it's a place of peace. Right after the abode, what do we talk about? Chapter 15, verse 9 to 11. Just as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Peace, love, joy. And we got the first three fruit of the Spirit right there. Boom. Right out of the heart of Jesus, right out of the heart of this text. This is what exists in the dwelling place, in the abode. I'd like to put some other words on it that can speak to us a little bit in a very practical way. When we go about creating an abode for others. The three words are time, expectation, and delight. First of all, the Muslims that you will be interacting with here and that we are interacting with in Marseille are called, what we could say, the Muslims of the diaspora. That is, they are Muslims outside of Muslim countries. That's a different ballgame for them and for us. Where these Muslims fit in and find a place of security and dwelling is, is our big question. And how can we provide that? It's our big question. Can they find it in your home? A place of security and dwelling, peace and love and joy? Can you find it in their home? Can you both find it in a church? Perhaps if that church functions as a home full of peace and love and joy. What do we need to become as we become all things to all men? What do we need to become to our Muslim neighbors who are around us? Well, first of all, we need to become a friend. And how do we share our faith with our Muslim friends as we are their friend? Well, we do so with our life. 
with, for example, giving and receiving hospitality. Or in my case, and I'm going to tell you a lot more about that, receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving. You, my Muslim friend, are going to experience love because I'm going to devote time to love you. Now, time in our world is probably the most precious commodity that we can give, and we have a hard time doing that. I like to talk about time on two different levels. Right? We've got two worlds that come crashing together. When you go to Starbucks, how much time do you spend at Starbucks? You can get in and out of Starbucks in 15 minutes between your classes. Maybe some of you were there just before coming here. Okay. When you go to our Muslim brother's house for a cup of coffee, how much time do you spend there? You know, people start laughing. An hour. Who have had the experience. Okay. One aspect of time. There's another. Katie and I come out of a little bit of a history of Christian conversion. We state ourselves. We were part of a movement in the 19... Um, uh, yeah. uh, and literally, everything was laid out. Six weeks, you could meet and convert a person. In six weeks, somebody remembers that? Yeah, okay. And if not, what do we do? We dust off our feet. Okay. I'd like to talk to you about something different. Generational vision. This is another way to look at the I'd like to talk to you about six years instead of six weeks. Do we have that kind of time? Do we have that kind of time in relationship with others? You, my Muslim friend, are going to experience peace because there will be no time's up. There will be no time's up. No. That end is open. My only expectation is that I'm going to love you and devote time to love you. That's it. That's it. I invite you to consider that kind of dwelling place, a dwelling place that is safe to be in because it's a place where you are loved unconditionally. And the fact that you are going to convert, in my mind, is a condition, if I apply it, that makes my love for you no longer Everybody following me. And joy. I want to quote Evelyn because Evelyn is French. She also happened to be one of my professors at Fuller. And she has done a tremendous amount of work. Her doctoral thesis was on the attunement theory applied to French and North African Christian relationships churches, because you know it's really hard for French and North Africans to function together in churches. We don't have any issues like that in our churches here, but in France they do. And here's what she has to say. She says, I have people asking me all kinds of questions like this as I travel and I speak, and they say we would love to connect with Muslims in our neighborhood, but don't know interesting, Evelyn's response to you is one word. Joy. I recommend joy. Start to enjoy 
them as human beings, to delight in them. This is how the bond will form. Very true. Very true. And we do delight so much in, in the wonderful brothers and sisters that we have in Marseille come out of a Well, maybe at this point you're saying, okay, uh, love, peace, no conditions, time lasts, at least a generation. Uh, what happened to evangelism? Did, did we drop the ball on that? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, you will find your Muslim friends probably much more interested in talking about matters of faith than the other friends that you have around you who are typical, secular, non-church-going Americans. Much more interested. And you'll be free to do so. But before you speak, what's a great idea? Listen. Take the time to listen, to learn, to discover their world and their vision of it. We have so much, so much to learn. And the other thing that's a great idea to do is to pray. Pray for them. Pray with them, I have never had a Muslim turn me down for prayer. I have, however, missed many opportunities to pray because I didn't dare to ask. These are the people that were sitting in this room. And we have a dwelling place full of friends that see the world the same. Great things can happen. Now, into the faith perspective here, and I'm going to speak out of my experience. I'm sure there are many others, but I will speak out of mine. One of the challenges we have is that we don't understand conversion from a Muslim perspective. Uh, some of the statistics I've read say that 75% of Muslim converts return to Islam. Mm. And I thought I somebody else here who was in the session yesterday, Dan. 90%? At the Blue Med Conference in Malta in February, they were saying that 90% of those that convert when they come into wow, that's a lot. In Europe go back within 18 months. Okay. These are, these are refugees. I, again, I, I have a thesis on that that's going to cost you. Here's what's happening. The cultural strongholds for Muslims, what are they? Family and community, okay? A refugee is somebody who's lost the essential elements of their existence, family and community. If they do not replace family and community, even if they come into a Christian context for Rwanda, and there's no family and community connection in there, what I'm hearing, 90% of them are going to go back to a family and community connection. Okay. A Muslim without family and community is lost. This is a fundamental need. What happens in the conversion process? Well, let's take a look at this through the eyes of a believer of Muslim background. Uh, one example, just along the way, if you haven't had the chance to read this book, do so. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus from Nabir Quraysh. Quraysh is he that the Lord has since taken home, but um, just an incredible learning experience to read this book. But 
with all that he's lived and all that he's experienced and all the things that happened to him when he lost his family and everything else, I dedicate this book to my parents, who he may not have ever seen again, but he dedicates the book to mom and dad, family. Okay? This community issue is so important that when you have the time to let it develop, here's an example of what can happen. Okay? Khaled and Jijiga said their names. I couldn't help it. I was supposed to try to come up with names. <laughs> <laughs> we won't remember that. We'll hold on to that. Okay? What's happening? A conversion inversion. Okay? Baptism is not going to be the first step in Muslim conversion. It's going to be the last step. And there's a whole lot of other things that have to get in place first. If we can understand that, we can go along for the ride. That's quite a ride. But here's one of them. They're going to come along as Muslims. This is 2002. Six years before his baptism. Six years before his baptism, he's saying, can you name our children? Well, what's that all about? Family, community, is essential. I want to go down this road. If I'm going to go down this road, it's going to be family and community for me. Okay? What happens spiritually in these cases okay, is understanding that idea. The baby's born. And so they say, will you bless our baby? Can we have a dedication for our baby at church? I don't know how many of you have had a dedication for a Muslim baby with Muslim parents at your church. But we have. Why? This is all part of the process. Okay? Family and community. We're going to put the essential elements in place. Baptism is other end of the story. Conversion, inversion. See the picture? At one point, Khaled said, you know, I'm too old to be baptized. He was in his 30s. <laughs> but it's good for my kids. My kids, I'll get it, okay? Here's the battle. You know, we've got family, we've got issues. If I do this, all the stuff that's attached to that, you know, maybe I can't do that for my kids. Well, as soon as he said that, I knew it was, you know, it's good. You know, it's coming, okay? Uh, or, what else? Well. I've been coming to church for a long time now, and I see every week you share the bread and the wine in memory of Isa. Yeah, well, I, I honor Isa. I'd like to share in the bread and wine with Isa. Okay, now what do you do? Questions. He did not do that, but, we'll, but you know, these are questions. Uh, I love listening to the word of God. You know when... when you hear the word proclaimed in a mosque, that's a very important thing. I would love to do that. Okay. <coughs> Stand up and read. These are the things that go on. Do we have a place where that can happen? That, that might be a very, very difficult thing. I have a place where that can happen. So forgive me for a little missiology. Okay? But I wanna I wanna talk to you about the idea of barriers access for people. Uh, Roxburgh and Romanac, they've written this book called The Missional Leader. Okay, they get into a little bit of an idea, and they talk about the way we do church 
and how we've got circles, we've got barriers for who's in and who's out, okay? For example, a baby's a dedication for a Muslim family, we can't do that. That's outside the circle, so that doesn't go, okay? Or uh, the guy's a Muslim, we can't give him any responsibility in this church. Can you imagine that? Somebody who was a Muslim can be responsible for something? That's outside the circle, we can't go there, okay? Or, uh, you know, what if uh, he's not been baptized? Since he's not been baptized, therefore, this whole realm of activity is off limits. These are all the questions that we have to go through when we're taking our time and we're living the conversion inversion and we're walking our way to conversion in reverse. What if we break down those barriers? What about a context without these barriers? Okay. What about direction? And taking somebody who's moving toward Christ and walking alongside them and saying, let's go. Let's go toward Christ. And we're going to just walk with them toward Christ. Who's outside of their comfort zone? Probably not him, me. This is the conversion inversion. And if you're catching on real well, the Muslim is not the only one that goes through the conversion inversion. <laughs> somebody else does. Well, it gets messy. And that's why somebody wrote a book called Messy Church. Probably. <laughs> because it does get messy. And here's five values of a messy church. That, you know, I don't even know if I can recommend these books, but I love this idea. Five values. It's Christ-centered. It's going toward Christ. It's not church structure-centered, for example. Okay? It's hospitable. What a fundamentally key and parentheses, the hospitality takes place in the home, not in the restaurant. Hugely important. Hugely important. Okay? It's creative. And we're going to talk about the creativity part of this. It's celebratory. Joy is a part of the picture. And, and it's intergenerational. You know, i got to go back here. Dwelling place. You know what the dwelling place is for Didiga, this Muslim mommy with a little baby? You know, there's books called Attractional Church and all that. You want to get into all that kind of stuff? You want to do Attractional Church for Muslims? How many grandmoms do you have in your church? Just a little different. This is peace and love. Grandmas, you got a great job to do for evangelizing Muslims. Oh, that's different. Okay. Intergenerational. They need to see that. You know, again, we, we, we come out of some of our stuff is it's all going to fit the, the boomers, or you know, then we got to go into the millennials, and we got you know, the more gray hair you got, the more secure you are in their world. And then we turn to the other side. What happens after conversion? What happens when, as a Muslim, you become a Christian? What happens if you, like Khaled, do announce that, uh, you know, I think I'm the first person in my family who's been baptized in a thousand years. <laughs> no use in listening to somebody. Okay. 
extra time once again, right? And what happens now? Well, you see what Calais did. When that day came, there was new family, a new community, everything with him, and he was with them. And he knew what he was doing, even though we didn't know what we were doing. Right? Here it comes. Immediately ostracized from your family. Caleb was a man with a lot of gifts, helped his family out. He helped everybody in his family. He becomes a Christian. He goes down home to Algeria. His dad lays out the inheritance. Seven brothers. All the brothers get seven and one-seventh. No, eight. Yeah, seven and one-seventh share of the wood. Because I'm going to tell all this anyway. Caleb's out. He's sitting there. He gets absolutely nothing. He provided for all of them. Captain's looking at context where nobody's going to come and attack him and do all that kind of stuff. But he's out. He's out. And then, what happens? Well, his daughter gets hit by a car. And he has some gifts that came over for Lily. But the question is, why did she get hit by a car? So, another cultural identity issue. The reason that Lily got hit by a car is because the lady was careless and was not looking. Correct? That's not why Lily got hit by a car. Lily got hit by a car, according to Khaled's family, as payback from God for becoming a Christian. Oh. That's why Lily got hit by a car. Understanding why things happen can help us understand what folks go through. That's why Lily got hit by a car. These are the challenges that our brothers and sisters face after where does Khaled go with all that? Where does he go with it? It's a dwelling place. It's got to be a place. Family, the community, it's all there. And if it's not there, and when it's not there, 90% of the cases in short term and 75% maybe a little larger, it's not there. And it's essential. And when it's not there, It's not a part of the picture. I gotta tell you a little more about the way God works in hearts and what happens. Lily got hit by a car, just two seconds, just to give you a beautiful picture of how beautiful these hearts are in Christ. She gets hit, the woman who hit her was in at fault. She was also Muslim. Again, you know, one chance in two that it would have been Muslim in Marseille. And never came to the house, never never acknowledged, never did anything with the family. And the police get involved and so they bring in the family, Khaled and his daughter, and they say, Okay, you know, uh, Time to set up and press charges. Do you want to press charges? And for some reason, the police officer asked Lily the question. Khaled already talked about it with his family, the, the other side, Jujuga, and the, and they were going to say, yeah, we need to press charges. And the police officer asked Lily, are we going to press charges? And Lily says, no, sir, we're, we're Christians. We're going to forgive her. <laughs> so you can thank God for that little girl. And Khaled, as he said, he said, you know, then the police officer said, well, sir, it's your decision, Khaled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're going to do what she said. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, there's another generation coming up in all this. Okay? We have the joy of seeing a second generation. So Khaled's daughter is baptized in this picture. And it's beautiful. And what happened in the diaspora doesn't happen in Algeria, where he's 
kind of thing. In a diaspora, where these people are in your world and in my world, things can be a little more fuzzy. Fourteen Muslims came to this baptism. Fourteen Muslims were in our church to witness this baptism. Things are starting to break and shake. And almost all these Muslims in the diaspora, diaspora, they're starting as refugees, if they've been there a few generations like the people they were with, they come or they become or they are what I'm calling in a large sense third culture people. They live at the chasm, at the cross point between the two cultures. Behind closed doors, it's a North African Muslim culture that they live in the home. It's the language of North African that's spoken. Talad Zibiga are from Kabili. They speak Kabili, it's not even Arabic. Okay. Uh, and that world is functioning behind the closed doors. Outside the door, once you step into France, it's a secular, atheistic world that they live in. And they got to bring these two worlds together. Very tricky. Uh, there's Khaled and Lydia in a more recent picture. Yeah. So we got questions like this. Okay. This is one of young men who's a Christian in the church today. And when we first met him out on the soccer field, called him Sufyan. And then we found out that his name's Christopher. Well, which is it? He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Okay. Why is that? Well. Mother, Muslim contact, context, puts Sofyan on his birth certificate. Grandmother, interracial marriage, mix, and all that. French slips in on the day the birth certificate is registered and puts Christopher on there. And Christopher lives in between the two worlds. Who is he? Who is he? We took Christopher with us to Greece. And he had a terribly difficult time. Do you know why? All the refugees came up to Christopher, you'll see his face again in a little bit, and they started talking to him in Arabic. But Christopher doesn't speak Arabic. He's, he was offended. Why do they think I'm Arabic? Well, sorry, look, there's a mirror right there. <laughs> <laughs> How do they live there? It's very challenging. Okay. Well, we've got the blessing of a church full folks. Oh, yeah, you saw. I'm sorry, yeah. Looks like the sun was in that picture over there. Uh, this is our little, you know, just a little snapshot of our third culture generation. This was just one of those fun shots I came back to and I thought, wow, this, this is it. This is the bunch. Okay. This is the most loving, wonderful, sweet group of kids you could ever imagine. And they're living in between two worlds. Living in between two worlds. So, the other question that we have to address when we talk about a dwelling place and creating one is the way we handle what's on the inside of us. So when you look at these two guys, if I got rid of this question and I just put a little CNN corner, what do you got? Okay. We have some work to do. We have to deal with our fear. Okay. Christopher and Khaled son and a brother. Just most incredible, wonderful people walking with God that, that he's put in our lives. What happens with our neighbors when you have a Muslim family over for a barbecue in your backyard? 
you've got to deal with your fears. And your fear is there. And often very, very visible. You have fear just looking at a picture, and then you got a fear of your neighbor in your back in your, your backyard. Uh, and in the church. So last summer I did go around a bunch of our churches, and I talked about loving Muslims and taking care of refugees, and I was I was, I was out of context. I live in France all the time. I don't live here. So I was not on the same page. And what happens after I'm done, well, I got people come up and say, wow, it's really courageous of you to choose such a politically charged topic to talk about in church. Well, let me just say something very clearly. Taking care of refugees and loving Muslims is not political. It's biblical. And if we lose that, we're in, in grave danger. Grave danger. But that fear, that fear. We had a short-term mission trip. And we had a group come over, wonderful people that come over from the States to help us out in France. We have a Bible camp in France that we run. And we have people that come over and help us keep that camp going, and it's phenomenal. And this year, I said to that group before we headed out, I said, listen, you guys are here on mission, and you're awesome. And you know what? This is just gold. This is an opportunity. I am inviting a refugee family to join us up at camp for a week. I mean, you talk about a dwelling place. This is it. First person that comes up to me afterwards and says, crazy. Do you know these people? We wouldn't want to be bringing any terrorists up there. Right out of the box. We've got to deal with our fear. And it's so misplaced. And again, I live, in, I live in the terror capital of the world right now. Not ignorant of that. But we've got to deal with our fear. This is the little family we were talking about. Fear kills a dwelling place right on the spot. At the end of that week, he says, if everyone was like you, there'd be no more. He got the picture of the dwelling place. So facing our fear. Well, we've got this cultural fear. It's called ethnocentrism. We've got to keep that in check. We've got a ritual fear. That's our legalism. Keeps us from allowing the church to be a place where can move along, and we've got to deal with that. And of course, what casts it out? Perfect love casts out fear. So I want to finish just with a couple of examples and ideas about creating dwelling places. Those who come out of this culture love to practice hospitality. Let yourself be invited over and enjoy yourself. This is Two Syrian refugees families inviting us over for a meal. Spread it right out on the floor and enjoy. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. By doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What if God was actually sending us angels? Wouldn't want to miss out on that, would you? Khaled says, and this is this quote, this is Khaled. It's not me, this is him. If I could, I'd share every meal with someone else. 
there's always a place for a guest at my table. And anyone in this room who has been to Marseille knows that that is not a joke. If you want to get Khaled upset, what do you do? You say no. You mean no. No, I can't come. What would you do? This is this culture. English. Okay? And so here, well, yeah, I was going to call him Samir, but I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> this is at his home. Okay? Now here's, how am I doing? I got five minutes. I'm doing great. Okay. Uh, this guy. This is what happens when God takes a Muslim and brings him into a, a vision for missions. Okay? This guy, Frank, we met 25 years ago. And Frank, at 51, hits rock bottom and decides that this is the day he's going to end his life. But he remembers that we knew each other back at the church, and so he comes by the church on that day. Well, Khaled happens to live by the church. He's the face of the church. And Khaled sees this guy kind of wandering around out front. What can I do for you? Well, invites him in. They go into the church. They sit down in the chapel. And the guy just cries and Khaled just looks at him. Just amazing, beautiful. But he found him also a nice atheist with absolutely no hope and no direction and no anything. Found hope sitting down with an Algerian guy who knows Jesus. This is the kind of stuff. And so this is at Khaled and Jijiga's home. Uh, he can't be happier than when his table is full. Uh, here's some other ways to do it. Our daughter Emily and her husband Rob were married 2016, married in Marseille. And we've got our wonderful North African family that's part of all that, and they just want to do something for Emily and Rob. They say, great. So, boom. We're going to take a little trip to North Africa for the rehearsal dinner. Okay. How do we create a dwelling place? Okay. We honor culture. We incorporate it. Right? So Rob's in the classic, the traditional dress for the man the night before, the day before the wedding and all that kind of stuff. And half of these are North African, and half of them are French who love to get dressed up in those beautiful North African dresses. So that, that's what that group is. And then, you know, we got the refugees coming in every week. We're, we're doing stuff with them, and so we do special activities for them, the Christmas party, for one. And then birthday parties. And this is one of my, my favorites. Pascal, one of our members, um, just has a beautiful way with these folks. And since her name is Pascal, and in French, that's the idea of Passover, the Pascal, Passover lamb, the Pascal lamb. So she's got a name that allows her to share the whole gospel. Mm -hmm. And so she has a birthday party, and she does that. Boom. And here, here they are in our fellowship hall, having a group birthday celebration. And you start seeing the hookahs on the heads of folks that were there, because there's about 40 Muslims that came to Pascal's home. And then, after all the fun, we go into our chapel, and we have a game. And the game is to help teach the message of the Bible that Pascal wanted to teach at her birthday party. Beautiful way to create a dwelling place. It can happen out on the soccer field. That's where we met Christopher. That's where we take a lot of these young refugee guys to go do some activities. And we have a bunch of Christians together get out on the soccer field. So wherever your sports, that becomes a dwelling place, and you can do that there. And then even the concerts, the stuff. We have a choral group in Marseille. And I just thought this was fun because uh, Lamise, 
she sends this out, and you can see it written up in Arabic there. She sends it all her Arabic friends. So the activity of the church becomes growing friends. And then, as we mentioned, the acts of service. Um, that was mentioned this morning as well. Bring them along to serve. Give them an opportunity to do so. And they become a part of your growing friends. Um, you have exactly what every Muslim Exactly what every Muslim the love and peace of Christ. So may God open our eyes, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that's one of the songs we love to sing. I actually learned that and sang it in Arabic, not that we're doing right now, but uh, may God open the eyes of our hearts. Um, well, pretty much out of time, lunch time. I don't know if anybody has a question they want to ask or Nothing for me, but thank you for your attention. When we pray with them, we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. And no problem. Very respectful of us. I've not had an issue with Good, very good questions to ask. You know, with the, the cultural differences, there, the, the male female hierarchy is, is very defined in that culture. It would be inappropriate for me to go talk to a woman. Very good. Just the way you said the, the guys with the guys and the women with the women. Absolutely. That, that's very typical. Now, that again, that breaks down in, in French society. That, that gets broken down some in the folks that we're dealing with. But, yes, that, that's an absolute, absolute valid consideration. And uh, that's kind of the way we work. It's the guys with the guys and the women with the women. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yes. Disclaimer, I feel like my experience is, is very limited. Uh, I think there's others that have a more. But in my experience, uh, I would encourage them actually to read the Quran, surprisingly, that sign. Uh, and what, what happened with Khaled and then the time issue, you know, if they bring that up, say, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm not, we're not going to do a back and forth on that. 
That's crazy. You think that Jesus has some God is out? Okay, let's go do something else. We're not going to fix that today. We got six years ahead of us. But in the Quran, Khaled would come back to me and start talking about all the things he's reading about Isa in the Quran. And talk about Isa raising the dead. And that was one of the things that got him, is this idea of Isa being able to resurrect the dead. And he started to work on that. And then he would just hear. Now he would hear us preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead and what that power meant and all that stuff. He, he put those pieces together. And it took <coughs> a lot, a lot of time. And absolutely, that was, that was a major, a major hurdle. And then plus just a lot of time. Maybe I don't know how many times he heard that before he was able to say, okay, I can, I can bring these pieces together. Yeah, but very, very good book too. Um, there's a, uh, an organization um, called Christian Outreach <coughs> Training and Research Institute that um, is putting together a systematic theology of the Quran from a Christian perspective. And so the idea is <coughs> to be able to first present the Quran in situations like we've just discussed. So um, you can find more at www.kotari.org. Kotari, C-O-T-A-R-I, Christian Outreach Training and Research Institute. Oh, this is kind of an aside, but I thought you said what that it was Jesus' do? heresy to translate the Quran into any other language besides classic <coughs> And yet I think you already mentioned the Farsi version. What is that? Good question. Is that allowed? Or it's not, it's not, it's, it would never be read in a mosque in, in yeah. Iran. So that's just for your home use. Is that true? Yeah, that's the most probably they don't read it, but I have my Quran that is... Uh, systematic theology. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The translations of the Quran exist in all the languages, but mm -hmm. considered, not considered authorized. Yeah, I picked up an English version of the Quran several years yeah. ago in Barnes and & Noble, and there's mm -hmm. several chapters, and that's all I needed. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to them talking about Jesus resurrecting, but I didn't see any love. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can, can I, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. What, what did uh, Khaled read? Did he read classic Arabic? He would have read the Arabic, yes. Okay. But until you started talking to him, he had not actually read the Quran? Uh, probably not. He, you know, he, the more he's grown, now he's stepping in leadership, he's coming out with stuff that you know, we've known each other for 17 years now, and I keep learning stuff. Some of the prayers, the five prayers of the day, are, are so memorized and without comprehension, and now he's going back in and reading them and saying, what was I saying? So a lot of the, you know, one of the main prayers we say 17 times a day is to curse all those of the other. Mm -hmm. uh, but you don't realize that. It's just, it's just coming out. So, you know, the reading, yeah, he was reading in, in Arabic. I don't know if he was reading in classic Arabic or not, because that those, the Quran, and then just like all the other languages mm -hmm. evolve and progress over time, I don't know exactly what, what he's reading or not. I just wanted to mention, um, if any of you come across Iranian, because I was just traveling to Iran, and I saw how the environment is when you cook. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I never, after like five years that I have converted, 
realize because our we are living in a holy city in Mecca with the mm, shrine of the eight imams there and we forced that my conversion as soon as I get to Iran to my hometown I go to shrine the next day mm -hmm. or that same night but I know I didn't go for past three years that I've gone I did not show interest and even if they asked me don't you want to go said, oh, we'll go later on, we'll go later on. So they knew that something is off. But this year, three months back in January, I was in Iran. I had the courage to tell my parents mm -hmm. when they were alone. I said, you know, especially my dad is mm -hmm. uh, had uh, diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. and they are old. I felt obligated to confess and tell them in okay. case something happens. And uh, one day I, you know, So they are just, if you come across them, I think they are the easiest target to convert. Yeah, so I, I think. In, in the last class, we went just a, an hour ago um, with Chris uh, Goldman from Seattle. He had a couple of Iranian people there. And uh, they said that the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, yeah. underground right now. I, I so yeah. they said, like what you said, that people are, the Armenians are really seeking God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. The gentleman's comment about the woman in men thing, <laughs> my very, very limited experience with Iraqi refugee families is that uh, I was able to talk to the woman, of all the men, of course, uh, in a very open, and they, they uh, It's the, it's more the touch, is the, the touch is the issue that needs to be handled delicately. My goodness, uh, yeah. Even husbands. Yeah, well, that's what they said, well, that's what they said, and I, again, I'm, I'm catching up too, because that's what they said in the last class, that the, the Iranian woman in question went up and hugged the preacher of the church there, so mm -hmm. that's, that's different than my experience, but that's, that's accurate.
and requires a lot of teaching both ways. We're trying to bring that's what this third culture group and that's my research for leadership. They're the ones that are going to help us do that. They're the ones that have the capacity to bring the students together. And uh, that's a conviction I have that I believe is very biblical. I have no intention of seeing a little North African church down there and a little French church over here. And, and but they are coming. We're in a place where that that can happen easier than in a context where it's very monocultural. That that would be that'd be much more difficult. But yeah, that's that's part of our. Uh, thank you all so much. For, uh,